I thank you, Kevin. It's a beautiful song. Hard words to follow. My name is Samuel Mock. If we've not met before, I'm the director of Next Gen and Streaming Ministries here at College Show Presbyterian Church. It's good to be with you this morning. I want to tell you a story, a story that I don't tell very often, probably because it paints me in a bad light. But when I was 17, I was with some friends of mine, and we were at the mall, and I wanted a discount on some stuff, but it was a discount a little too deep for the store to afford. If you're not tracking with me, what I'm talking about is that five-finger discount. I was stealing stuff. My friends were, too. And I thought to myself, you know, it, it's okay because they're upcharging for this item. I wanted a wristband. I wanted to be like one of my favorite basketball players, Allen Iverson. But they were charging $25 for this wristband. I said, that's way too much. So I justified my sin. I stole it. I looked at my friends. They were stealing much more than me. I stole one thing. I said, they stealing a bunch. I'm not as bad as them. I started comparing my sin with others. It made me feel good about myself. You know what I realized is sometimes if we're not submitted to God, that's exactly what we do with our sin. We start comparing it to others or we justify it to ourselves. You may be thinking to yourself, I can't believe him. I would never steal. Can I tell you, if you're judging me, that even you have sinned. In fact, all of us in here, we're sinners. God, God's law tells us not to bear false witness. It means don't lie. Even them little white lies you be telling your grandkids, those count too. We're called to tell the truth. God says that we can't murder. And then Jesus said, if you have hate in your heart for your neighbor... You've murdered them in your heart. God tells us not to commit adultery, to be faithful to him and to our partner. But if we look lustfully upon somebody else, we have committed adultery in our heart. I'm telling you, we have all sinned. Yet God says, be holy, for I am holy. So if we're so bad at this, how do we get it right? Well, I'll tell you, the first thing is, God, he gives us a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Bailey, can you put that on the screens for us? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So how do we overcome temptation? How do we keep from sinning? How do we be holy for because he is holy? Well, we follow Jesus Christ in the way that he did it. So we're going to look at how Jesus was tempted today and take some pages out of his playbook so that we can be prepared to do what he has done. And of course, we won't do it perfectly, but we will begin to overcome sin in our lives. We're in a series called More Than Words. In this series, we're looking at the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ so that we can begin to look more like him, that we can follow him more closely. And as I was preparing this message, God said to me, you know, my goodness, my grace, they cleanse, they cleanse you of your sin. But my goodness and grace also has the power to keep you from sinning. Allow me to pray for us this morning, and then we're going to dive into our text. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are good to us when we don't deserve it. We thank you that even now, here in this place, as we come to meet you, Father, you are already here, ready to meet us, to love us, Father. I ask that you would take away anything that would distract us from this moment so that we can hear from you, God, that we would leave here looking more like you and leave here spreading your love with others. Help us, Father, now in this place. It's in your Son, Christ Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So follow me to Matthew 3.16. I'll be preaching out of the NIV version, so if you could follow along on the screens, that'll be beneficial for you. If you have the app, you can switch to whatever Bible. Um, the scripture says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God... Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to see, as soon as Jesus is baptized, his identifying with the Father, baptism was an act of repentance for most but it's also an identi identifying with the Father. Jesus didn't need repentance because he was perfect, but in this moment he's identifying with the Father for the sake of others around him. And as he identifies with the Father, he's immediately led to be tempted. I want you to know that God does not tempt us. It says the devil does that. The devil tempts him. The Spirit leads him there. But know this. You can be right in the middle of doing what God has called you to do and be tempted. Also know this, the Spirit led him there, which means he's not alone as he's being tempted. But imagine it, 40 days without food, you would be starving. For some of y'all, if I preach more than 40 minutes, you are on the way to brunch. 
<laughs> Jesus isn't hungry. He's starving. In fact, scientists say the body can only last 60 days without food. Some of you may be saying, isn't Jesus the son of God? How could he be starving? How could he be weak? Hebrews 12, 17 and 18 says, For this reason, he had to be made like us, fully man in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 4, 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So yes, the Son of God is fully man, but also fully God. He's tempted, and he is weak in this moment. He's isolated from others. He's got a headache. His stomach is growling. I'm sure it's beginning to eat itself. Not what you feel at one o'clock in the day when you forgot to eat lunch or pack it for lunch for the day. No, this is much more than that. He is starving. So how does he keep from sinning? What is our game plan that we learn from Jesus? Well, let's go back to the temptations. The first one, the devil says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. I want you to see that the devil, he's like, man, if God is a good father... If you really got all that power, you can just go ahead and turn these stones to bread. If God gave you that urge, you feel your stomach rumbling, bro. He don't want you to be hungry. Go ahead and turn them stones to bread. Eat, man. No, no, God, God, God didn't ask you to do all this. He wants you to be comfortable. And Jesus replies to him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is denying himself here because he's aligning his power, his heavenly power, with the purpose of God, with the purpose of his heavenly Father. And he's relying on the strength of the Father, not physical food. This temptation is what's known as the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is simple. It's any time that our physical bodies have a craving outside of God's desire for us. That's the lust of the flesh. In this moment, Jesus is fasting to draw close to the person of God, to be close to the Father, to be in deep connection with him, and to lean on him, to deny his flesh for spiritual purposes. And fasting for us can do the same. It can teach us to deny our flesh in order to draw close to the person of God. To learn to rely on him. Our next temptation says, the devil took Jesus to the top of the temple in the holy city. He says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Did you catch that? The devil said it's written because he he too knows scripture, but he's quoting it out of context. The devil will use our misunderstandings around scripture to confuse us. It is a weapon for him. 
That's why we must be in God's word. We must study his scriptures. This also is not a party trick. He's not asking Jesus to do this simply for entertainment. What he's asking Jesus to do is to gain his following outside of God's provision. See, God had called him the three years ministry of long days of healing people, teaching and preaching. He had called him to a life of homelessness, a life where he would only have the provision of the Father to rely on. Everything Jesus had came from what other people gave to him. So the devil, he's like, come on, man, you could, you could do exactly what God's telling you to do. Build your following. Just do it a little easier. Just a little jump. That's all it's going to take. You ain't got to go those three years of being homeless and hungry and place to place and meeting other people's needs. You can meet your needs right now. Save yourself the time, brother. This temptation is called the pride of life. It's where we are. We have the desire to chase after something, something that maybe even God has for us, but outside of his timing or his way. So let's see, how does Jesus respond to this? He says, it says, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put your Lord God to the test. Jesus understood that his purpose from God meant that he had to live intentionally for God. Yeah, he could have done it easier. He could have done it quicker, but he followed the purpose that God had for him, a purpose that I'm thankful for personally. How do we learn God's purpose for our life? How do we learn what he wants from us? Simple. Spend time praying daily. The Bible says pray without ceasing. And prayer is not just what you say to God. It's when you sit there quietly before him, too. A lot of the times, I talk too much, I don't listen enough. But prayer, it, it helps do something for us. It helps us to build a connection with God, to have a deeper trust in him. This would have been a part of Jesus' fasting on the mountain. At this point, the devil, he's fed up. Two attempts, and Jesus isn't shooken. So he says, man, I'm taking the gloves off. I don't got time for this. I'm pulling out the big guns. I'm not fighting with hands tied behind my back anymore. Jesus, come to this mountain. Let me show you all the world's splendor, all the power in the world. It can be yours. He says, all this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. He's taking the mask off. He's not playing games anymore. He's getting straight to the point. This temptation is called the lust of the eyes. He shows Jesus these things. And the lust of the eyes is whenever we see something that we desire outside of God's way or his will, if we pursue that, that's, that's the lust of the eyes. Now imagine for a second. Remember, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. The devil is tempting this fully man part of Jesus. Imagine all that power at your fingertips. You see it right before your eyes. It's within your grasp. And for Jesus, this wasn't just power. This meant escaping the cross. The physical, undeserved punishment of the cross. The spiritual torment that would happen on the cross for our sins. He would be escaping this. And to let you 
know how badly he wanted to escape this, Jesus cries out in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying and sweating blood and crying tears of blood. He wants to escape this. The devil would have known this. He's offering him something enticing. The devil's saying, man, you ain't, you ain't gotta die for them. Them, the same people that's gonna throw you up on the cross, they gonna beat you, spit at you, they don't respect you. Why die for them? No, man, you can have all this right now. You ain't got to wait. Because the devil, he's the, he's the prince of this heir. How does Jesus respond? He says, the scriptures say, Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Can I tell you, the devil, he offered him the kingdoms of this world. But Jesus, in his faithfulness, he would be given much more than that. The devil can only offer us, the devil cannot offer us anything greater than what God has for us. He can only offer us counterfeits, knockoffs to the great things that God has in store for us. He offers it quicker, but he doesn't offer it better. No, see, Jesus, he knew the promises of God. God's scripture, he had studied them. And so he knew that his momentary affliction would result in eternal acclamation. He would be praised and sit at the right hand of the Father of God. And while the devil, he offered him the world, God offered him heaven and earth. Much more than that. So how? How does Jesus overcome this temptation? What can we learn from him? It's not flashy, but it's rather simple. Jesus knows the person of God, the promises of God, And his purpose from God. The person of God. Where God's character is loving. And he wants what's best for us. Even if it doesn't feel good in the moment. Oh, it would have been easy to turn them stones to bread. We see where Jesus later will multiply bread from fish. He has the power. He could easily do it. But he doesn't outside. He doesn't do it outside of God's will for him. In every retort Jesus has for the devil, he says, it is written. Jesus knows his scripture. It is written. It is written. It is written. That's the promises of God. They're written on his heart. The Bible is God's promises to us. It will strengthen us in the face of temptation. If we hide his word on our heart and remember his word in temptation, It gives us a way out. Lastly, Jesus, he understood the assignment. Just like Jesus, our purpose in life is to glorify God with our lives by living lives in response to his love for us. So while it would have been easy to take the short route, Jesus models for us how to live submitted out of his love for the Father. And I'll tell you, sin, it's not always so obvious. It's not as simple as what we do. Sometimes it's what we don't do. Sin of omission is what it's called. 
In fact, James 4.17 tells us, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. See, in whatever we do, wherever we are, we are called to put kingdom over our comfort. I actually want to welcome up two of my friends. These are two of my closest friends, and they're going to tell you a little bit about how they have been called to put kingdom over comfort. Help me welcome up Luke and Molly Verhagen. Samuel, thank you so much for this incredible word and incredible message. And we feel really honored that you (laughs) decided to invite us up at this point. So thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Um, As Samuel said, Luke and I, um, uh, we have some fun and exciting news. (laughs) And we are really trusting the Lord to lead us in this stage of our life. We, uh, in September, joined a missions organization called Wycliffe Bible Translators. Um, and we are really excited to go on this journey with them and continue to see. And Luke's going to share a little bit more about what that might look like. Yeah. Wycliffe Bible Translators, uh, you may have heard of it. It's a missions organization uh, that works all around the world, and their goal is to translate God's word into every language in the world. There are about 1,680 languages in the world that don't have any of the Bible translated into it. So people who, who speak those languages, they might be able to read the Bible in a trade language or a national language, but they can't read it in the language of their heart, the language that they, that they think and understand in. And Wycliffe Bible translators, their goal is, is to translate into those languages. As Jesus was, was tempted, Samuel said, and, and, and the scripture says that the, that the Satan used scriptures against Jesus. And one of the things that we want to do is share God's word as it is in the language that people understand that, so that they can resist that temptation and they mm. can obey. Now, Molly and I, we aren't going as translators ourselves. We're going in uh, what might be called auxiliary roles. Um, Molly is going in what's called ethno arts and i'm going in scripture engagement molly share a little bit about about ethno arts um ethno arts is the concept of going into a developing community of jesus followers a people group that already have a translation of the bible maybe it's one of the gospels maybe it's the new testament maybe it's the whole bible it's going into these new and developing communities and offering them workshops and structures to create their own worship music. Uh, Samuel talked about having this word of God written on your heart, knowing it so well that you can quote it, that you can come back to Satan and say the truths of the gospel. And for me personally, song has been one of the most beneficial ways to do this. Um, I love worship. I uh, have been a worship leader here for a pretty long time, kind of on and off through college. I've been a worship leader in general for about 10 years. Um, it's what I believe God's called me to do. It's the way I feel. Uh, it's one of the most joyful things in my life. Um, and I would, I'm so excited at the possibility and the probability of helping other cultures to develop their own worship music. I won't be going in saying, 
I can play this drum better than you. Um, I want to go in and will go in and plan to go in humbly saying, teach me what your culture does. Teach me how your culture makes music. Teach me how you sing. Teach me what this sounds like to you. But instead providing a structure for them to create their own worship music, create new songs, look at the scriptures and how they respond to their hurts and their joys and create songs relating to those things. Um, so that's kind of going to be my role uh, with Wycliffe. And then Luke is going to participate uh, in scripture engagement. Scripture engagement is huge. It basically answers the question, why does this matter? How does scripture apply to our lives? How does that affect us? And, that, and, and the role of scripture engagement with Wycliffe Bible Translators comes out in sort of two ways. And one of those is is technology or media. How do the people in this new community of believers want to engage with the Bible? We have the Bible in written word. We can also li- listen to it in audio. We can see film dramatizations uh, like The Chosen. Um, and in new cultures, they might not have those resources yet. So part of it is asking the question, how do you want to engage with the Bible? How do you want to engage with God's word and making those materials and helping, helping the people in those communities make the materials to answer that question. Mm. And one of the things that makes me excited about that is I've worked with a youth here at the church for, I don't know, 12 years or something. Praise and, God for this man. <laughs> <laughs> and answering that question of how the Bible impacts our lives, it's critical. I think each of you that, that know and read the Bible, that's an important question that, that you ask and answer every day. Um, so you guys might be wondering, like, where we're planning to go. Like, where, where's, where's this all happening? Um, and to one extent or another, we are too. <laughs> we went into Wycliffe with a plan. We were going to Indonesia. We felt very strongly about that. And then God said, no, that's not going to work. Um, and so right now we are really faithfully following after God. We know that he has called us to Wycliffe. We know he has called us to be in these roles, but we don't know where he's called us to go. So we're looking, uh, we're actively searching for a place to land at the moment. So, uh, we would definitely appreciate your prayers, but we're also developing a community, um, of partners, uh, both financially and prayerfully to aid us on this journey. Um, this is what we know God has called us to. This is the work that we are really passionate about. Um, and that doesn't mean that God laid out a nice little roadmap for us. Um, there have definitely been bumps along the way. Um, there have definitely been temptations that we've experienced. Um, but we are really excited about this. So if you are interested in learning more or partnering with us either prayerfully or financially, we're going to have a table in the atrium and we would love to connect with you and we would love to talk to you more. Oh, sorry. Don't you just love those two? So you may be saying to yourself, man, I don't think God called me to overseas mission. That's okay. But you should be asking yourself, how do I know what I ought to do? Simply said, stay connected to God. 
chase after him. Do this by reading his scripture daily, spending time with him in prayer. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. And your awareness of his great love for you will grow. And he will show you what to do, what he's calling you to. God's love and his grace for us, it shows us how to overcome, how to get past the bumps in the road, how to not waver in the face of temptation. I want you to know we've talked a lot about what we do, what we don't do today, but we are not defined by what we do and don't do. We're defined instead by who we identify with. I'll take you back to the beginning of this passage where Jesus is baptized. He's identifying with God the Father in that moment. The heavens open up and these words are said by God the Father. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Know that your standing today is not based on what you do. It's not based on what you don't do. Instead, it's based on who you identify with. You may be wondering, so what happened when you stole that stuff all those years ago? Well, I experienced a special kind of grace that day. I was walking out of the mall, and I hear a voice behind me, police. I throw my hands up. My palms are sweaty. Knees weak, arms are heavy. I'm not rapping Eminem, but really, that, that was the case. I felt like I was going to throw up. In a moment, I thought my life was over. The officer, he walked up to me. Slowly, he allowed me and my friends to turn around. He said, what are you doing? Why are you being stupid? Why would you do this? He said, the entire time I've been watching you all and planning when to arrest you. But for some reason, I can't explain it, but God is telling me to let you go. So he asked for the stuff we stole back. He said, promise me you'll never do something like this again. He called us to repent. And I experienced a special grace that day. A grace that likely changed the trajectory of my life. Can I tell you, grace looks different in our lives. But one grace that stays the same for all of us is the grace of the gospel. That we are sinners. We can never measure up to what the law is. The law that God has provided for us. But Jesus lived it perfectly. Then he would go to the cross and die for our sins, taking on the wrath both of humanity and for humanity. He would fill our judgment from God. He would die, and then after three days he would raise from the grave. He rose again, defeating sin and death on our behalf. He exchanges his righteousness for our sin. That is the grace that is extended to each of us. Today, if this is the first time you're hearing this good news or the first time it's hitting your heart, 
God may be calling you to just come home, to identify with him. If you want to take that step today, would you simply just write saved on your connection card? We want to walk alongside you in this journey. We want to be there for you. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while now. Can I encourage you to join a growth group? It's a great way for us to build community with one another, to gain friends, but also to follow God with one another, to learn what he's calling us to do. It's a way that we can find accountability. Or maybe for you, you're doing both of those, and maybe it's just time to serve in an area of the church or even lead a growth group yourself. God's grace is powerful. It forgives our sins, and it also helps us to overcome sin. Allow me to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your great love for us and the promises that it holds. God, I I lift up to you those hurting, the Shearing family who's lost Jack, Father. Words cannot describe the pain of death. I pray that you would comfort them, Lord, both through your spirit and through your physical hands and feet of the church. God, I lift up the Peterson family who's lost Brett. Be with them and comfort them in this time, God. I lift up the hurts of the people around me, those that we don't know, those who are watching online. Each of us are dealing with our own individual things, Father. But I just I ask that you would intercede on our behalf, Father. Comfort us and counsel us in whatever we're going through. I pray this in your Holy Son, Christ Jesus' name. Amen.